0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. A lot to get to today. In a moment, I'll talk with Ohio Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about infrastructure and Afghanistan. Then we'll switch the topic to tourism as I'm joined by Matt McLaren, director of Ohio Find It Here. In about 20 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has more on the end of the Afghanistan war. A lot of information about a bill at the Statehouse that would ban mask mandates for schools and businesses. and a segment about some changes in the pension plan for thousands of Ohio public employees. In about 45 minutes, we'll present a portion of State Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff's comments at a news conference he held on Friday updating Ohioans on the coronavirus. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with the president of the American Federation of Teachers. First up on Columbus Perspective, I'm joined on the phone by Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. Thanks for talking to us, Senator. You've been going around the state this week talking about the infrastructure bill that's been passed by the Senate and is now in the House.
1: Yeah, whether in Cincinnati, talking about the Brent Spence Bridge... Uh, which is a multi-billion dollar project, a 60-plus-year-old bridge across the Ohio River. 3% of GDP crosses that bridge every day. Or whether it's small towns like where I near where I grew up, I worked on our family farm and would take a hay wagon, pulling a tractor, pulling a hay wagon across these little culvert bridges over little creeks or over culverts that um, we have 3,000 bridges around Ohio that need repair. Or in Columbus with CODA, an infusion of capital for... Uh, new buses, new safer, zero emission buses, or in Cleveland uh, this week where I saw um, small businesses will um, get a sort of a new lease on life, a new launch with better infrastructure of roads and streets and highways and bridges. So all of this is important, um, especially broadband in rural areas, and I think we're on our way to doing it, and it's going to create all kinds of good paid union jobs and and making steel a uh, Buy America provision that Senator Portman and I got in the bill, which is really important.
0: And in the nearly thirteen billion that would come to Ohio under this infrastructure package, uh, nearly a billion and a half for water improvements.
1: Yeah, we don't think enough. You know, you you, know, all, you just think about when well, I turn this faucet on and water comes out, or I take a shower, or whatever. And we don't think much about what's underground. And uh, we know, especially with climate change, some of the challenges, but. Um, we have water systems that are antiquated. A lot of this stuff is built decades ago. Uh, we need reinvestment and and, and repair there. Um, there are still way too many um, pipes that have lead in them, and we know what lead does to a child's brain if there's if there's exposure uh, in, in in infant and in, in as a baby, as an infant, as a small child. Um, so we need to modernize our entire infrastructure, including building new um, capacity for broadband, which will especially matter in rural areas and inner city areas.
0: You know, uh, when the internet came out, you and I can remember back when it used to be, you you were charged by the hour to use it. And now it's so vital to business and everyday life. Will there be changes, you you think, down the line in terms of complete availability and price caps and that kind of thing going forward?
1: I think part of the this infrastructure, bipartisan infrastructure package is, is to expand internet. I mean, think think of it. I understand great differences, but think of it in 90 years ago, when President Roosevelt electrified the countryside, many many areas we were more rural country, but many many areas didn't have electricity. Um, that was considered absolutely essential for a modern life. Uh, that sounds so ancient now, but broadband, is many in many ways, is the same thing that. For medical for medical treatment, oftentimes, for small businesses, for kids doing homework, I remember a few years ago talking to a, 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 an eighth or ninth grader who told me that she had to go to her grandparents' house to study because they lived at the top of the hill and she lived down in the valley and she couldn't get access, good, nice, even, even low-speed Internet in those days. So um, that's all very important, and it's, it's, we're going to look back on it and say, of course we need to do that, but we need to be thinking more into the future about that.
0: Speaker Pelosi has said that she's expecting the House to pass this by the end of the month. Is that where it's going?
1: I think we will have this uh, infrastructure bill to the president's desk by late September, early October. Uh, I know those dollars then will come to Ohio and we'll begin the work on on a lot. It will be a lot of job creation, good paying jobs, often union good paying jobs uh, will the buy America provisions, which Senator Portman and I got into the bill, are strong that anybody that if you're using, if you're if you're using tax dollars, you've got to buy American steel and concrete and pipes and wires and all the things that are important for this infrastructure bill.
0: And I wanted to ask you real quick, similar to the way that Democrats, including you, have said that Republicans behind closed doors were critical of President Trump. Uh, we've heard from at least one Republican who has said that behind closed doors, there's bipartisan anger over how the Afghanistan withdrawal was conducted.
1: I recognize both sides of this. I mean, this we, President Biden was in this position because President Trump set this state and negotiated with the Taliban and and in a sense set it up this way. Um, I wish President Biden had been able to, though in light of that, had, had been able to get our troops uh, out, help get Americans out a little bit earlier. I think the military under the commander in chief, the president, but the military did a good job in getting people out safely. The loss of life was terrible of the dozen, so a dozen military personnel um, from our country. Uh, but we um, we mostly did it safely. Uh, there's plenty of blame to go around. And I'm not I'm not going to particularly point fingers at the Republican President Trump, although he set it up. Nor am I going to point fingers at the Democratic President who carried it out. I just want to make sure this is done right.
0: Do you expect hearings on this going forward?
1: Uh, yeah, there probably will. There'll certainly be discussions. There may be there may be actual hearings. Um, I think we learned from this. Uh, this wasn't nearly the tragedy and the the, the disaster that pulling out of Vietnam was. Uh, clearly, we learned some things from that. We can always learn. But the the most important lesson from this is that we were in Afghanistan for 20 years and four presidents promised to get us out. Finally, Biden got us out. And I I hear a number of Republicans say over and over that, that they're so glad Trump is getting us out now. and And they were happy about that, but then unhappy when Biden did. So I I, I don't care about any of that sort of criticism. What I care about is this war is finally over. The great, great majority of Americans and a number of our Afghan allies are now out of the country safely. Um, That's the good news. The bad news is that some Americans, unfortunately, some American service members had to give their lives for this.
0: Ohio Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, thanks so much for your time today. Sure, Dave. Always. Thank you, sir. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Matt McLaren. He is the director of Ohio Find It Here. How are you?
2: Doing great, Dave. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, I take it Ohio Find It Here is the the state's kind of official tourism bureau?
2: That's correct. We're the tourism division for the state of Ohio.
0: Okay. And so let's start with talking about how this past summer went, because obviously it's still not a normal summer, but it had to have been better than last year.
2: Yeah, with all its challenges, Ohio's tourism industry still had a pretty good summer. Uh, We saw a lot of people turning to road trips and outdoor activities, and fortunately, Ohio is good in both of those areas, Um, so we were able to, especially a lot of the rural areas around the state, uh, see a, a lot of leisure travel.
0: And also, the state was able to actually put together an advertising budget this year for areas outside of Ohio that you couldn't do last year, right?
2: We did. Uh, We restarted our out-of-state marketing focusing largely on the states that border Ohio, Uh, so encouraging Ohioans to go visit Ohio businesses, but then also in those bordering states to come take a road trip in the state of Ohio.
0: I saw a report, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks ago that said that Cedar Point was, at the peak season this year, was back to about 85% of what they would consider to be a normal crowd, which is pretty outstanding considering everything that's going on.
2: It really is. And, you know, we actually saw a few reports of places doing very well. Uh, AAA even reported more people took a road trip this Independence Day weekend than ever before. And road trips were up 11% over 2019. You know what? We expect the Labor Day weekend to stay strong as well.
0: And let's talk about that with it being uh, Labor Day weekend here. what's uh, What are some of the things that you're trying to highlight?
2: Yeah, well, right now in Ohio, you can find it here. We have over 1,000 things you can do at Ohio.org. Uh, some of the most popular are events and festivals, 10 perfect road trips, and then we also have over 5,000 miles of hiking, biking, and water trails in the state of Ohio. Uh, all we expect to be popular this Labor Day and end the fall.
0: You know, when you mentioned fairs and festivals, too, I was looking just uh, today at fair the county fair festival, and it's far from over. There's still, I think as of uh, the day that I looked at it, Thursday, September 2nd, there were almost a dozen that were either continuing the end of their run or about to start up for that weekend so there's a lot of that stuff going on still
2: that's right you still have a lot of county fairs and then we've seen a lot of events that actually rescheduled into the fall this year so you have things like the 45th ohio river Sternwheel festival that's down in marietta happening september 10th through 12th uh, you see some incredible stern wheel boats that travel up and down the ohio river and a fabulous fireworks show that they'll have on saturday night
0: the state fair was uh, called off except for some of the agricultural exhibits uh, that were closed to the general public. I would imagine that that has kind of driven more people into the county and local fairs.
2: You know, most of the events are still seeing good attendance, uh, and we are seeing the events continue to happen. I encourage you to go to Ohio.org and take a look at the list of fall events that are coming up. Uh, everything from the Fall Fest at Kings Island and Halloween's in Cedar Point are returning this year. Uh, We also have Ohio's Fruit, the Paw Paw. That festival returns in Albany, Ohio, near Athens, uh, September 17th and 19th. And then another big one that's returned and and we'll uh, expect good attendance, that's the Circleville Pumpkin Show, and that happens October 15th and 19th. I know it's one of the favorites for my daughters and I. Uh, good pumpkin pie is one of my favorite things.
0: Yeah, and this weekend with the big change in the weather, getting back to lower humidity and lower temperatures, it kind of puts people into the, the, the fall spirit, it seems like.
2: It does. And even during the summer even during the hot days, we saw people gravitate to be outside. Uh, when the weather cools off a little bit, it's just even easier. We really expect the outdoor activities, the outdoor events to continue to be popular.
0: Talking with Matt McLaren, he's director of Ohio Find It Here. Bike trails, the, those are uh, making some news these days. They are. Ohio just got recognized for having
2: some of the best bike trails in the United States. In fact, uh, we have more U.S. bike route miles than any other state. So uh, a shout out to our Ohio Department of Transportation, Ohio Department of Natural Resources. They've been creating these great bicycle routes in Ohio, and uh, now we can claim to be number one.
0: There are scores of wineries around Ohio, and I know fall is a big time for them.
2: It really is. And the Ohio wines continue to get more and more recognition. Uh, We've actually created a 15-stop foodie road trip that you can find some of those top wineries. Uh, One of my favorite on it is Breitenbach, which is in Tuscarawas County. Uh, the Breitenbach Winery is one of many of our great wineries across the state of Ohio.
0: Football is even on the agenda with, with some of your activities.
2: It is, and it is football season. It's the end of summer, so you can feel it. Games are starting up. Uh, we've created an eight-stop winning drive road trip, and we want people to go across the state of Ohio, not only check out those great stadiums where the Browns, the Bengals, and the Buckeyes play, uh, but also learn about the history of football that happened right started right here in the state of Ohio. Uh, We have the Pro Football Hall of Fame, something that people come from all over the world, all over the country to experience, and every Ohioan should be on their list to go check out the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. And then also, a lot of people don't realize that every NFL football is made right here in the state of Ohio. The Wilson Football Factory in Ada, and they have a tour. That's one of the stops on our eight-stop winning drive road trip that is football-focused.
0: Talking with Matt McLaren, he's the director of Ohio Find It here. These are uh, interesting and creative ideas to generate interest around Ohio. How are these formed? Do you have uh, folks who kind of brainstorm about this, or how do you do it?
2: We do. We have a great staff at Ohio Find It here, and there's literally thousands of things that we can choose from each year to promote in Ohio. try and pick the ones that fit with what's most relevant to the time, and uh, if there's any big anniversaries or events going on, we link to that as well. Uh, One of the things this year, we promoted a um, The road trips that focused on rock and ride with Cedar Point having its 150th anniversary and the the Rock Hall being just such a great destination here in the state of Ohio. Um, Every year, Ohio has so many things to offer. We promote some of the top ones, but really want you to plan your own, too. And that's why when you go to Ohio.org, you can create your own itinerary of things to do from the road trips, the 5,000-plus hiking, biking, and water trails that we have, and so much more.
0: I remember talking in the spring with somebody from the state parks who said that over the last year they've just exploded in popularity.
2: Yeah, seventy-five free state parks in Ohio, and they've never been more popular. Um, when you set off to, to the parks, uh, you really have so many great opportunities across the state. Some of my favorites: uh, the new Jesse Owens State Park over in the southeast side. Of Ohio. You also find Clifton Gorge over near Yellow Springs. And then, of course, Hocking Hills has become so popular. Uh, Ash Cave is one of my favorites to walk to down there, especially after a rain. You get that beautiful waterfall that just is uh, so magnificent. It's about four stories high.
0: You know, anytime I talk about state parks, uh, I, I always have to bring up, and I love them, uh, the, the cabins or cottages at, at the state parks. You know, there are a lot of states who don't do that, where you can go and rent a, a getaway like that which is basically renting a completely furnished two-bedroom house and sometimes in the winter time you can get those things for like depending on the park maybe 60 70 bucks a night it's unbelievable
2: well Dave I'm glad to hear you bring that up because the cabins are a great option for lodging across the state uh, I'll tell you this summer and most of this fall they're already sold out so I'm glad you're thinking about winter too um, you can find some beautiful areas of the state with state park cabins, and then the winter hikes that'll be planned. It's not that far away. You may want to make your reservations at a state park cabin right now. Uh, I'll also add we have some incredible lodges, the state park lodges, whether it's Houston Woods or Salt Fork uh, over by Salt Fork Lake. The lodges oftentimes still have rooms available for the fall, so I would encourage you to make your plans for a fall visit to one of our state park lodges here right now.
0: And, you know, the cabins, if, I can easily imagine where maybe somebody had one thought, one time to look them up and see what happens with uh, staying there. And maybe they look at Mohican in the middle of the summer and it might be, you know, $150, 200 bucks a night for a cabin. But, you know, if you're looking in January at Pike Lake in South Central Ohio near Chillicothe or Lake Hope in uh, Venton County, you know, those...
2: Absolutely beautiful, yeah. Those, yeah. those um, are the places... One of our favorites as well. Yeah, and, and you're right. That's usually booked in the spring, summer, and even into the fall. But you may be able to find some great opportunities there in the winter.
0: And and it's like seventy bucks a night. It's um, and you know some of them are pet friendly. It's they're just terrific getaways.
2: Well, and you'll find so many lodging opportunities on Ohio.org. The cabins, the state park lodges, but also some of the hotels across the state. Um, right now, one of my tips for you: a lot of the downtown properties that are just incredible modern properties are cheaper than normal as of as we still get more and more people coming back into our, our cities to enjoy the amenities the restaurants the retails uh, some of the plays that are coming back as well
0: talking with matt mclaren he's the director of ohio find it here well it seems like you know the days of of complete lockdowns are over because of the vaccine availability and and just uh you know trying to work our way through this pandemic and yet I guess there's still some uncertainty, you know, going forward until we get this thing completely knocked out.
2: Yeah, we do encourage everyone to go onto the website for whichever event destination that they're planning on going to and looking up the safety precautions before they go. Um, But it does seem like with people following the safety precautions and then also Ohio being so fortunate that uh, we have so many drive-to destinations that you're going to see events and festivities continue and people continue to go to them.
0: Matt, any other big item that we're overlooking here that you want to mention? Uh, Just that the end of summer is here. Now's the right time to plan
2: your end of summer trip. Uh, Thousands of things that you can do at Ohio.org. And the fall will be here soon. And it's such a beautiful time in the state of Ohio. Might be a good idea to plan your fall trip right now as well.
0: All right. Matt McLaren, he's the director of Ohio Find It Here. Thanks so much for your time today.
2: Great. Thank you, Dave.
0: Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS Ten TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at eleven thirty on Ten TV.
4: To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this. We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay.
5: The president's promise, the commander-in-chief says, those responsible for the loss of American life in Afghanistan will pay. We have analysis on what happens next. <laughs> Mandate debate, the large showing at the state house for a bill involving vaccines, the testimony both inside and outside the chamber, and where the legislation stands today.
6: Starting this committee allowed me to funnel a lot of my negative energy into positive energy.
5: A nurse's mission to create change, the group where saving lives and social justice intersect. Face the State starts now.
4: some sense, like many of you do, what the families of these brave heroes are feeling today. You get this feeling like you're being sucked into a black hole in the middle of your chest. There's no way out.
5: President Biden at times emotional and at other times forceful. Hours after suicide bombs claimed the lives of U.S. troops in Afghanistan. He called the fallen troops heroes who died in the service of an historic airlift. And the commander-in-chief told those responsible they will pay. Thank you for joining us for Face the State this morning. I'm Tracy Townsend. We've been bringing you perspective from local experts and historians who study Afghanistan and foreign affairs. And 10TV's Olivia Eugenio reports U.S. intelligence showed this could happen.
6: I spoke with two professors, one from Ohio University, the other from the University of Toledo, both saying an attack like this wasn't a surprise. In a weird way, I think it was to be expected. This was expected. This was not a matter of if, but when. Dr. M. Joel Voss from University of Toledo and Professor Nuket Sandal, the chair of Ohio University's political science department, say they saw this coming. But Sandal says this shifts the conversation. With the attack coming from ISIS-K, an offshoot of the ISIS group, now we're talking about fighting among different jihadi organizations. This is a group that was established six years ago. It is an ISIS branch. And its goals were to both attack U.S. and allied forces and to undermine Taliban credibility and governance. But how does this affect Afghan people, especially those trying to escape? Dr. Voss says he believes this will slow down evacuations in the region.
4: having a terrorist attack occur um, obviously is an added fear, but I think that I think you 'll still see these individuals try to escape if anything, right this is this is even more reason to try to escape
6: but while the evacuations continue but that will be many who want to leave, but who cannot be evacuated. So for these people, of course, watching their loved ones die as a result of um, ISIS attacks or living under the strict rule of Taliban will be the reality. Again, the Taliban and the president agreed to the August 31st deadline for evacuating Afghan civilians. Back to you.
5: We're hearing from Ohio lawmakers on Capitol Hill about the situation in Afghanistan. Senator Sherrod Brown tweeted, Our hearts are heavy for the victims of the terror attack in Kabul, U.S. service members performing a dangerous mission, and innocent Afghans fleeing danger. And Senator Rob Portman tweeted, As reports of U.S. casualties come in from the cowardly terrorist attacks in Kabul, we keep the brave service members and their families in our prayers. COVID-19 cases are climbing in our state. Administrators at Ohio Health announced that they will pause elective surgeries that require an overnight stay. The hospital system says this will free up staff and hospital capacity. We spoke with John Palmer from the Ohio Hospital Association. He says hospitals in other states are seeing wait lists for the intensive care unit. And he says it's critical to avoid that situation here.
4: Those are situations you don't want to be in. Those are um, life-threatening type situations um, that, that would have serious outcomes. The understanding that it's not so much a bed capacity concern versus a staffing uh, concern.
5: As of late last week, leaders at Nationwide Children's Hospital said they were busy but hadn't had to postpone or delay care. Leaders at Mount Carmel and Ohio State University Wexer Medical Center also told us they do not have plans to pause elective surgeries. A round of applause greeted State Representative Jennifer Gross inside the State House. She's the sponsor of House Bill 248, which is aimed at blocking vaccine mandates from being implemented at businesses. Hospitals would not be allowed to require workers to get vaccinated either. Health experts maintain the vaccine is the most safe and effective way to fight the virus. Ohio's legislative leaders ultimately hit the brakes on that bill for now, but for hours they heard testimony from people in support of and in opposition to it.
6: Consider how House Bill 248 will make our current situation even worse and I'm asking you please do not pass it.
5: Thank you.
3: And private businesses need to stop putting draconian measures on your constituents, us, because they are private they're private corporations.
5: Franklin County Commissioner Kevin Boyce spoke on behalf of the commissioners, and he had this exchange with the bill sponsor.
4: This bill, simply put, is dangerous. It flies in the face of common sense and science. It isn't so much about personal liberty as much as failing to acknowledge the consequences of individual actions, even when those actions endanger all of
7: us. I wanted to know had you heard about the study that came out in the Lancet Journal on August 10th that says the transmission of SARS CoV 2 Delta variant among healthcare workers who've been vaccinated? Some science isn't conspiracy. But it actually is science, and so people read that, and Ohioans read that. How do you answer those types of scientific questions, since this is The Lancet, a very well-known journal, in those of us who are medical
4: chairman lips uh, ranking member russo um, representative gross um, i think that uh, we should follow the science and i think that uh, they've been very clear about what our action should be and i I hope that when the actual uh, folks who are involved in the scientific uh, research like the physician that was just testifying i hope you ask them that question because i think they're equipped to respond because that's what they're following
5: Supporters of this bill surrounded the state house with signs. Most were urging lawmakers to pass it. Some say they are not against the vaccine, but they told 10TV's Kevin Landers the decision should be an individual choice. They
3: came to raise their voices for medical freedom.
8: You should have the decision to put drugs in your body if you want. It should not be mandated on any level. Your body,
3: you choose. They came to question the science behind the COVID-19 vaccine, which the FDA says are not experimental.
6: And I'm not going to inject myself with something that they're doing a, basically experiments with us.
3: They came to fight against what they say is government intrusion into their personal lives.
6: What's the next step? You can't have a Pepsi or a Coke anymore because it's bad for your health.
3: This protest rally in favor of HB 248, known as the Vaccine Choice and Anti-Discrimination Act, drew people from across Ohio. It's
8: about the freedom of choice. I can't even believe that we have to fight
7: this. Our body, our choice.
3: They believe the government shouldn't mandate a vaccine nor should employers fire those who choose not to get the shot.
7: It's heartbreaking to see all these
3: other people that are going to be this affected by it. Inside the state house, supporters of HB 248 gave a standing ovation to state representative Jennifer Gross, who championed the bill.
7: I believe I'm on the right side of this issue.
3: Gross, who says she got COVID, believes the size of the protest shows how passionate people are for her bill and says if HB 248 or some form of it doesn't pass, she predicts first responders could walk off the job if vaccines are mandated.
7: If we do not act and protect our health care from the front end, they helped us, and if we don't help them now, they're going to walk.
5: The Ohio Chamber of Commerce is against this legislation. We spoke with the president of the chamber, former 15th District Congressman Steve Stivers.
4: It's not about vaccines here. It's about employment at will and eroding employers' ability to decide the terms of employment in their business. And in fact, that's a slip towards socialism that, you know, we should all be a little scared about.
5: COVID-19 and the classroom. What's being done to keep your children safe? 10 Investigates Bennett Haberly has the answer coming up.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
5: How much federal funding did your student's school receive during the pandemic? A new data analysis from the Associated Press aims to answer that question. The review of federal data found that the median total per district in Ohio is $2.7 million, and the median spending per student is over $3,200. Columbus City Schools received the most of any district, followed by Cleveland and Cincinnati. Many schools use the money to hire more teachers and counselors, purchase equipment, and offer summer programs. As COVID-19 cases rise, the state's largest school district returned to class. Misinformation is spreading just like the virus itself, leaving school districts and health departments facing pushback in a public health crisis. Here's Chief Investigative Reporter Bennett Haverly.
9: This week, placards carried messages about choice and freedom. These voices outside the statehouse body, carried messages in support of a bill that would block schools, businesses, and other institutions from requiring COVID vaccinations. We want it to be our choice. Similar pushback against mask mandates popped up at this Worthington School Board meeting, Whoa. which ultimately passed a mask requirement for K-12.
6: I've weighed the pros and cons from my research and determined that it is detrimental to his learning and well-being to wear a mask.
9: And at last week's school board meeting in Gahanna, several parents echoed opposition to mask mandates. Misinformation was also present. At least two parents repeated false claims about the efficacy of the PCR COVID test. All of it has led public health officials like Dr. Mashika Roberts to say things like this.
6: Science says this virus is very contagious. The science says we can reduce the spread of this virus by wearing face coverings or masks. And the science says that we can reduce the spread of this virus, we can reduce um, illness, and we can reduce death by getting vaccinated.
9: Ten investigates found that as school has resumed in Ohio, school districts in at least 42 counties are reporting active COVID cases among students and staff. In the Columbus area, a dozen school districts have reported cases, leaving hundreds of children and teachers in quarantine. What's sort of the landscape that we're looking at? Do you anticipate that we will see more of those circumstances pop up in the, in the next weeks ahead?
6: I definitely think we're going to see more cases. We're going to see more individuals getting quarantined and we're going to see this impact the classroom and schools as well as businesses. We want our students to be safe.
9: The head of the state's largest school district says they're prepared to return to virtual learning should it be necessary. Right now, they're requiring masks and encouraging vaccinations, even as concern and contention lingers.
10: I thought it would be like... Different, but it was um, better than I thought it was. It was exciting. The cases is just too high. I just think they shouldn't have brought all the kids back together like this.
9: In Columbus, Bennett Haverly, 10 TV News.
5: This week, several Central Ohio colleges started to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine. That includes the Ohio State University and Otterbein University. At the same time, a small Ohio college is seeing a spike in COVID-19 cases, and that means protocols are changing fast. 10TV's Brittany Bailey takes us to Cedarville University.
11: The students have been back here on campus for a little more than two weeks, and the COVID-19 case numbers among students have been steadily climbing since then, now up to nearly 300.
4: We hope these plans that we've um, implemented are going to pay off and uh, reduce the spread and uh, bring us back to uh, a more normal and manageable um, Level.
11: right now cedarville is managing by creating even more isolation space for students that's on top of another space that already
0: is full this wave will pass and our commitment is to be on campus in person we believe that's the best way to do discipleship
11: when students returned to campus there were no protocols in place no vaccine requirement no mask mandates
4: our initiative was to um, Empower the students to make sound decisions as ba- that's best in their um, their health, their health, in their best interests.
11: But that meant initially holding chapel in a space that can hold roughly 3,500 people at one time, almost the entire student population.
5: So honestly, when I came in the beginning, it's like 4,000 kids in one place, no mass in a chapel. I was like, wow, these kids are gonna obviously gonna go higher. But now, once I feel like the masses is bring coming back, I feel like kind of comfortable, you know. with Cases may be going down.
11: Is it fair to say that people were not making those quote-unquote sound decisions that you wanted them to make when they came back to campus?
4: I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's the, the reason here. I think, I think the Delta variant is so powerful, it, it swept through here quickly.
11: At last count, there were 281 positive cases, more than 7% of the student population. So now masks are required indoors and students can choose to take classes online. The plan extends through at least September 7th. Do we really think that 10 or 11 days of this protocol is going to fix everything?
4: That's a good question. Um, I'm not a medical expert.
11: We should point out that these case numbers are only for students and do not include faculty and staff numbers. We know that means the numbers are higher on campus because the vice president herself is sick. And the spokesman we interviewed on Zoom is in quarantine.
5: Reporting in Cedarville, Brittany Bailey, 10TV News. We checked in with a few other area universities. As of late last week, Otterbein had 15 15- Positive cases since August 1st. Out of those, only two were among the 1,000 students living on campus. Ohio Dominican also had only two active cases among its 1,500 students. And Kenyon College was reporting four positive cases, two students and two employees. We should note all three of these schools have mask policies, and Kenyon students must be vaccinated. Some significant changes about health care assistance will take effect in a few months for the Ohio Public Employees retirement system. We recently got a question from a viewer who's wondering if health benefits are going away altogether. 10TV's Lindsay Mills verifies.
8: Viewer Faye Haynes recently wrote to us asking, is it true that Ohio Public Employees Retirement System plans to discontinue health benefits to retirees? Our source is Tanya Brown, the Oprah's Director of Member Operations. She says beginning January 2022, they are moving to a reimbursement model called a health reimbursement arrangement.
5: The way this works is the participant will pay up front for premiums and other qualified expenses that they can then
6: be reimbursed with from their allowance. We will deposit that allowance each month um, into their HRA account.
8: This was a major change the Oprah's board approved in 2020. The reason the health care fund, left unchanged, risked being insolvent by 2030, and it would take four years to fund it again. According to Oper's website, it has become increasingly expensive to offer this coverage as costs have risen at alarming rates nationally. Further, we have more people retiring now and fewer public workers contributing to the system. So is OPERS discontinuing its health benefits? No.
6: OPERS is not discontinuing our health care program. We are changing our delivery model for our pre-Medicare retirees.
8: So we can verify, no, the health care program is not being discontinued. However, the burden is shifting and the funding help is shrinking. Brown says the biggest thing pre-Medicare retirees need to do during open enrollment is to opt in to the HRA program.
6: After they do that, they can then explore new medical plans by contacting Via Benefits, which is our pre-Medicare connector. Um, The connector is an unbiased resource that would help the retirees understand different funding options,
5: how to navigate the individual and family market, and then also enroll into a new plan.
8: To help with that transition, OPERS is providing a one-time deposit of $1,200 into the new HRA account. Have something you'd like us to verify? Send us an email to verify at 10tv.com. With your Verify, I'm Lindsay Mills. This change directly impacts
5: more than 22,000 pre-Medicare retirees and potentially the dependence of more than 200,000 retirees. The state of Ohio launched a new website so Ohioans can learn about redistricting. It's called redistricting.ohio.gov. You're about to learn about who is on the commission as well as what that commission does. The group includes House Speaker Bob Cup, Senator Vernon Sykes. Senate President Matt Huffman, House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, Auditor Keith Faber, and Secretary of State Frank LaRose. The commission redraws the district maps every 10 years. This is the first time the newly configured commission will redraw these districts under new criteria approved by Ohioans in 2015. We have posted a link to all of this information at 10TV.com slash face the state. You know, during tough times, we lean on one another. Coming up, how this group of nurses find support while saving lives during the pandemic.
10: Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
5: Welcome back to Face the State. Columbus City leaders say there's a crisis in our community. It's not the crime rate, but the birth and death rate in Franklin County. The Greater Columbus Infant Mortality Task Force reports that three families lose a baby every week in Franklin County. 150 infants a year die, and African-American babies are dying at twice the rate of white babies. Startling statistics that demand a candid conversation and action a
10: society is judged by how it handles its most vulnerable folks if we can't as a community wrap our arms around babies and ensure that they have the best trajectory possible for getting to the age of one and beyond you know you gotta question what we're really focusing on the most vulnerable folks in our society are young folk and um Again, I think the collaboration
5: here gives us a really unique opportunity. It was my pleasure to moderate the panel discussion with... Maureen Stapleton, the executive director of Celebrate One, Christine Sander from Ohio Better Birth Outcomes, and Franklin County Commissioner Erica Crawley at the Columbus Metropolitan Club. They are laser focused on a strategic plan to lower the infant mortality rate, close the racial disparity gap in health and medical care, and increase diversity and equity in the medical community. A group of nearly 20 nurses at OSU's Wexner Medical Center has teamed up to form a new diversity committee. Beth, Meng Su is an ICU nurse who worked to form this committee for more than a year. She says she's been working on the front lines of the pandemic and has also been deeply impacted by national events of social injustice. She says the events of the last year and a half have really weighed heavy and she was motivated to create this committee to channel feelings of burnout and hurt into a positive force.
6: Being a black nurse, being a black woman, being in a COVID ICU, being in a grad program full-time, it was just a lot.
5: The goal is to educate others on diversity and inclusion and to offer a space for talking about social injustice. They're beginning to plan outreach efforts in the Columbus community and beyond. Their first event will be volunteering at the United Methodist Free Store in September. We thank you all for joining us here today. We will see you back here next Sunday for another edition of Face the State. Take care.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
10: When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent, or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council.
7: You're never completely ready to adopt a teen.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. On Thursday, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, updated Ohioans on the coronavirus. We're presenting just about six minutes of that news conference. Here's Dr. Vanderhoff.
4: Unfortunately, we are continuing to see our Delta wave drive COVID-19 cases ever higher in Ohio. In the past week in Ohio, more than 3,000 cases of COVID-19 have been reported every day. Most frequently, we've seen higher than 4,000 or 5,000 cases reported on a single day. Although not the highest 24-hour numbers we have on record, these highs compare to figures that we reported during our winter surge and are more than 10 times what we experienced as recently as early July. Uh, A county has a high rate of transmission, you'll recall, if it has 100 or more weekly cases per 100,000 residents. And that's according to the CDC's uh, uh, benchmark. Ohio's cases per 100,000 have averaged over, uh, been averaged over uh, two weeks, and they now sit at well north of 400. In early July, that figure was close to 17. So we are now more than 25 times that number. All our counties have now more than 100 cases per 100,000 residents, and some are upwards of a 1,000. When you look at the counties with the highest case rate per 100,000, they're primarily counties with lower vaccination rates. The top five counties where COVID is spreading have between 30 and 40% of their entire population having started the vaccine process which is demonstrably lower than the statewide vaccination rate of all Ohioans, which is around 52%. Because every single county in Ohio has a high rate of community transmission of COVID, residents statewide should take precautions. Most notably, choosing to be vaccinated, but also choosing to wear a mask in situations where appropriate distancing simply can't be maintained. As a result of this dangerous variant, we are seeing people of all ages getting sicker, quicker, and requiring hospital care. As of yesterday, the Ohio Hospital Association reported that statewide, about one in eight patients in the hospital has COVID-19, and that about one out of five patients in the ICU is battling COVID-19. This is trending in the wrong direction. In rural Ohio, the figures are even more trouble. In our rural hospitals, one in four patients are hospitalized with COVID-19. And one in three in the ICU is battling COVID-19. Hospitalizations and ICU admissions were relatively stable in early July. The number of patients admitted with COVID covered in the 200s, varying from 60 to 70 in the ICU, and about 40 to 50 COVID patients on ventilators. Now, sadly, this has grown dramatically. COVID-19 hospitalizations and ICU admissions are now about 10 times what they were in early July, with more than 2,500 of battling COVID in the hospital right now. This includes more than 750 in the ICU and nearly 450 patients on ventilators. Now, unfortunately, it also continues to be true that unvaccinated Ohioans are far and away the COVID-19 patients filling our hospital beds. Data shows that from January to the present, less than two and a half percent of those hospitalized were fully vaccinated. This is a hospital pandemic of the unvaccinated. Vaccines, along with masks, also help keep our kids in school, in person, learning five days a week, which has long been our goal. As many schools across the state have started their academic year and have staff and students who are now being quarantined, we've clarified our quarantine guidance for exposure in the K-12 classroom. The bottom line is that there are three paths that will allow students to avoid quarantine and to continue attending school in person after exposure in the classroom as long as they don't have symptoms. Now, first, if a student or teacher who's exposed to COVID-19 is fully vaccinated, that person will be able to forego quarantine. Next, if a school requires key prevention measures, the exposed staff or student will not have to quarantine. And you'll remember, these include, first, requiring masking all students and staff, regardless of vaccine status. Two, maximizing physical distance with at least three feet between desks. And three, have documented COVID-19 prevention policies in place, such as the identification of individuals experiencing symptoms, strategies to increase ventilation, protocols for cleaning, etc. And finally, in cases where the school does not require masking, Any student or teacher who is exposed to COVID can still avoid quarantine as long as they, as the person exposed, were masked and maintaining a distance of three feet from others. Now, it's important to keep students healthy and learning in person as much as possible. But doing so in the face of unprecedented numbers of children contracting COVID-19 and other respiratory viruses really requires us to take extra measures like masking in school.
0: That's Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, from a news conference on Thursday. This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Randy Weingarten. She is the president of the American Federation of Teachers. How are you?
10: I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, tell us about the American Federation of Teachers. So
10: the American Federation of Teachers is the parent organization of many of the teachers in Ohio, both rural and um and, and suburban and urban, including in Cleveland and Cincinnati, in um, in uh, Toledo, um, and in many um, you know rural parts of uh, of the state as well. And so we're you know we're a 1.7 million member organization, and our North Star for this whole pandemic has been how to keep people safe. That you know this is something that schools used to think about all the time and it never was that the issue was how not whether and you know it's unfortunate that we've had um, a whole bunch of uh, you know different um, polarization and divisiveness around this issue now ideologically as opposed to all of us as a school community wanting to reopen schools, keep them open, knowing full well Positive benefits to kids by having schools open,
0: but also making sure that all of us are safe. Well, it sure, certainly has been interesting and challenging. You know, when the pandemic hit last year in the spring, at least in Ohio, schools were had to shut down. They were forced to shut down, and now this time around, they have much more leeway to make their own decisions when it comes to masking or in-class learning versus virtual. And that just brings with it more responsibility and greater challenges, I would think.
10: Exactly right, and and the problem is that look, the the local control issues are really important. This is who what 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 education has always been. We've always been, um, you know, uh, an an enterprise that. Should be, you know, controlled by lay leaders, democratically elected, close to students and families, and and, and that's how we've thought about education in America, you know, forever. Um, but but what's happened is that the pandemic, you know, unfortunately, created um, political lines that it should not have done. I, I I'm from New York City. And, or from New York State, and I was the teacher union president in 9-11, and many, several of my members, you know, passed away that day, but several of my members were married to firemen who passed away that day. We all came together in the aftermath of 9-11, you know, and, and, and passed laws and did things, you know, good, bad, or differently, but we came together as a community to do the best we could and to protect each other and to hold each other. And and that is the opposite of what we've done in terms of COVID. And now, you know, you got the Delta variant. It 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 has really affected unvaccinated communities. Um and 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 we have to do what we can do to both reopen and keep schools open, knowing how important that is for our kids. The positive benefits are 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 obvious. But we have to do it safely, and that's why our union, on a national basis, has said vaccinate everybody who can be vaccinated and ninety percent of teachers in america or, or our mar members are vaccinated and that's why we've said that for the time being there has to be universal masking it's it's a safety issue it's not a political issue and why we have to have good ventilation and why we have to you know have a good contact tracing and testing process and and frankly you know the the governor in ohio was very very clear about getting teachers vaccinated quickly but you know I wish he actually spent a little bit more leadership saying this is you know what the CDC has recommended and 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 that um, he's out there with that he, you know and 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 doing that
0: Talking with Randy Weingarten she's the president of the American Federation of Teachers Well, there have been uh, in Ohio and across the country clashes between parents and School board members at, at school board meetings about mask mandates or vaccines has it been important for you to try to keep teachers out of the line of fire and and trying to keep them out of the politics of this whole mess?
10: Look, we are trying, and you know, I'm. I mean, it, you know, it, if anybody looked at Fox um, TV, you know, they 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 politicize me all the di- that time, and they lie about me all the time, and they try to you know, uh, caricature me unfairly all the time. But having said that, I'm as political as, you know, as, as, as so many others. But this is a moment not to be political. This is a moment where a North Star is reopening schools, keeping them open, knowing full so well how important they are for our kids, but doing it in a safe way. And, you know, I, you know, there's, there's, a lot of debate individually about whether this is an individual choice or whether this is a community responsibility. And, you know, maybe it doesn't surprise anybody that I would say, just like other vaccines, that this is a community responsibility because of what we know about Delta, that it transmits um, virulently, and it transmits amongst kids, amongst adults. And so um wearing a mask, it's not perfect, and there's, you know, lots of negatives about masks, but wearing a mask can help, um, stop the transmission, and, and we got lots of other rules in schools that, that we abide by that have never been an issue, you know, we have, you know, this is the start time of the school, this is the end time of the school, this is homework that kids do, this is, you know, schools sometimes have, um, have other kinds of um, these are clothing that you can or can't wear. Or, you know, this is you know you can't beat up your you know your, your your the other kids. We we have lots of different kind of rules that are about safety and about the best interest of kids. So it does surprise me that masks have become um, uh, weaponized and politicized.
0: Just a moment or so to go here with Randy Weingarten from the American Federation of Teachers. In, in the middle of all this, too, you've got kids who have been suffering academically and socially over the last year because of all this.
10: Right. Well, that gets back to why it's so important. We've two pillars here. Why it's so important to have um, full school and have school in person. because. Kids need to be with each other, and they need to be in school. School is the rhythm of is serves as part of the rhythm of communities, whether you're rural or urban or suburban. Um, But we have to keep them safe so that kids and adults, um, you know, are safe when they're with each other inside for this many hours. And so that's why you know the CDC, the pediatricians have all said universal masking um, for the time being until we deal with that both the Delta variant and the fact that kids under 12 can't get the
0: vaccine. Uh, Randy, anything else you'd like to add?
10: Just, I want to just say to um, Ohio, the teachers in Ohio are amazing. Ohio has always been a place where, you know, people um, want to raise their families and have a better life. And, you know, public education has been key to that. And I just wish everybody, the parents, um, our kids, our educators, just Godspeed and and just, you know, we we want what kids need. Teachers want what kids need. And we need to, you know, we need to work together um, to reopen schools, to keep them open, to deal with the emotional and social needs of our kids, to use this year as a year of academic recovery. But we have to do all this in a way that's safe. So that's why, please, you know, get a vaccine if you can. And um, let's make sure we have the ventilation, the masking, and the other kind of protocols that we need in schools to keep our kids and our education community safe this year.
0: Randy Weingarten, President, American Federation of Teachers. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.